the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. If you've ever been intimidated by Ignatian spirituality, today's guest will put you at ease. In fact, Father Michael Hansen is determined to make the Ignatian exercises accessible to as many people as possible. Why? It's simple. He knows that God is at work, whether you're doing the full 30-day retreat or just a one-off reflection. I've been intrigued by Mick's work for a while. In fact, longtime listeners will remember when he came on our podcast a few years ago. He talked about the first spiritual exercises. Mick has written a book by the same name, but it's also a shorthand for what Ignatius meant in the 18th annotation of the full spiritual exercises. Both Mick and Ignatius want people to be able to access the riches of Ignatian spirituality, even if you don't have 30 days to sit in a retreat center. Today, Mick brings us up to date on that work, but he also introduces us to a month-long initiative he's been steering that invites us to contemplate the many Marian devotions of Ignatius of Loyola. Mick and his fellow Jesuits in Australia have produced a beautiful collection of short meditations that pair a Marian image, perhaps a statue that Ignatius would have seen in his childhood, uh, or a painting that hung in his room, with guided prayers to help us more intentionally journey through this month of Mary. If you've ever wanted to know what Ignatius' contemplation of the Blessed Mother looked like, this is the episode for you. Father Michael Hansen, welcome back to AMDG. We're so glad you're back with us today. Thank you, Eric. It is great to be back. Not that I feel I'm a, a long way away because uh, I read your blog regularly every time and it, it, you have so much family life in it. I feel like I totally know about your whole family and you and everything. So uh, <laughs> I'm in your head, huh? I'm in your head. I'm haunting yeah, your dreams. <laughs> exactly. Well, I hope I haven't uh, divulged too much. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about me. We're going to get we're going to talk about you this time. So uh, this is your your time to shine. All right, man. So so you were actually on our podcast, and, and one of the people loved this episode um, a long time ago. So I'm glad you're back. And when you were here a couple of years ago, um, you talked about the first spiritual exercises, also known as the 18th annotation for folks that are familiar. Um, so I wonder if, if we can start by just going back to that topic and, and remind people what, what they are and why they're important and how they fit into the Ignatian tradition. Okay. So the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius were incredibly important for him and for everyone joining him to be a companion of his, and then right through 500 years, right up to our Ignatian co-workers, of whom there are many. The exercises uh, were given in different forms, and um, the form that was most remembered over three or 400 years was the long form, given over 30 days if you're enclosed in a retreat centre, or over 30 weeks, a retreat in daily life. But there was a much simpler form called, as you said, the 18th annotation exercises, a much simpler form, which was by and large the form of the exercises most given. These were um, simpler exercises, but not simple in the sense of simple easy or simple easy dismissed. They are in fact as deep as 
any exercises in any form. So um, when I wrote the first spiritual exercises, I looked, went back and I looked at what he was telling people to do. And then we just tried it. We road tested it. And to our astonishment, people found them fantastic. And even today, we, we, we've grown them, we've trained, you know, many, many hundreds of givers of them all around the world. They've been given in universities and parishes and prisons, all sorts of places to great effect. So it's been a, a fantastic journey to work with something so simple that the givers don't need to do any preparation, you know. Givers of exercises love that. And the receivers don't need to do any preparation. They don't need to be church. They don't need to be holy. They don't need to be wise or have done a university degree. Ignatius said those exercises are for anyone of goodwill. Anyone. So we feel like we've discovered something fantastic and um, we want to give them away. That's as simple as I can put it. We want to give them to as many people as we can and say, look, take this, pray it. If you're helped, go and give it to someone else, you know. So we want them to ripple out. We think that's how they were used in the first days. Whereas the longer form of the exercises, they have a history of, ooh, better be serious, we better hide them. Not hide them, but we've got to protect them. So we've got to build a big wall and put a retreat centre behind it and you come to us and we'll, you know, we'll give you this retreat, but only if you're very special, right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so and they're intimidating uh, too because they take so long, right? And, but Yeah, and, and they're really expensive, right? Mm -hmm. You're probably going to end up paying, if it's a layperson who's trained, they're professionally trained. So you'd probably be training, you know, be paying them if it's a... Uh, and the uh, National Street Centre, still, you'd be paying to go there. Whereas with first exercises, our guiding principle is they should be totally free, free of cost. The training should be free of cost. Um, the model is Jesus sending out the 12 and 72 disciples. He says, take nothing with you, uh, travel light, go to a town, um, heal people, free them, lift their burdens, uh, tell them the good news, um, rely on their hospitality for some food and a bed, and then move on. And that model is a really a model of the church that's fairly different today. So I like that a lot. Mm. I also I, so I remember when, when we when we talked um, before, I just remember you you kept saying again and again, you just give them an exercise, give them an exercise, and 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 you you already listed a lot of these scenarios, right? You know, people that are in prisons, people that are um, just in any walk of life, right? You give them an exercise, and there's such confidence that you know God is going to work there. And so I wonder, kind of um, in, in the you know the recent you know kind of weeks and months and and, and year or so, how have you been seeing that? Um, play out, you know, God at work in these, these, you know, quote unquote, simple exercises. I know you've been doing, doing a lot with the, the field hospital um, and, and, and other, other kind of interpretations. So, so how, how have these really been kind of um, sinking into people's spiritual lives, uh, you know, in recent days? So it's in the nature of this prayer format, right? Called, let's call it the Ignatian spiritual exercise. It's a five step prayer format, but it's highly structured. You do these five steps in this order and um, you ask for this desire and so on. So 
it's in the nature of this particular of, of a of a spiritual exercise that <coughs> pardon me that the person receiving them just meets God meets a personal God and the exercises because of the questions they ask the guidance that happens in them um, it means that the giver can't intrude into the receiver's experience so if I or you were giving an exercise to someone it doesn't matter at all who we are or what wisdom we have or anything because all we can do is give them the exercise and then the magic, not the magic, <laughs> the, <laughs> the grace happens because it's just them and they meet God and what happens is people bring their own life story to God. People come to pray this form of, of prayer and they just meet God as they are um, in their in their lived life and so God can work very powerfully in that moment and work very powerfully very very quickly let me tell you when we first gave the first exercises we wrote the book of four retreats right you don't do them all but there were four to choose from and each one of them was like a four-week retreat in daily life where you prayed Monday to Thursday so in the beginning, people said, oh, these exercises are great. Can I, can I just open the book? And, oh, I see there's a there's hundred of them. Can I just pick the one I like? We said, oh, no, no, we're very purist, you know. They said, well, can I take one from him? We said, no, 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 you've got, to, you've got to do the retreat. And they'd say, well, I haven't got four weeks. I've only got two days. Can I just two days? And we used to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you're not going to do the retreat, then don't even start. Well... That lasted about six months because real life made itself uh, appear before us. And we realised people just have the time they have, right? And um, so gradually we began to give single exercises. We call them tasters. And then we put two single exercises together. Well, that was a little morning or an afternoon or an evening. And then we put three together and that was a prayer day. Then we put six together and that was a weekend. And we did grab them from different places. We still gave the retreats, but gradually over time, 60% or more of our use of the exercise was at single exercises. So um, that's why they're very powerful because they're so easy to pick up, so easy to give, so easy to receive. You don't need any special anything to, to make them. And once you choose, and it's just a matter of generosity, yes, I'll try this. I'll try this for 20 minutes or half an hour, right? God does amazing things. I know. I think I think that's such a key part, right, that, that you know, it's, it's you and God. God is the one doing the work. I, I feel like I've, I've, I've had conversations with people who um, – who have done the full exercises, either thirty days or kind of the you know the, the fifty or so weeks in, in every day, um, and and then the idea of of uh, kind of a one off exercise or the, the four weeks, the first spiritual exercises, people kind of go, oh, like I'm I'm beyond that. That's that's t too simple for me. And and I usually say, no, 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 like it's going to be awesome. But what what do you say? Because I'm sure you hear that all the time. What's your response to folks um, that 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 you know think they have to go I don't know somewhere even further after the first spiritual after the um the, the full thirty days? Yeah. Uh, many of my fellow Jesuits say, oh, why are, you, why are you wasting your time with that, Michael? Isn't that just medieval confession preparation? To which I say, 
have you ever tried praying one of them? And of course they answered <laughs> no, no, because they looked at them and it looked too simple. And that is true. They look so simple that you're tempted, you're tempted to think, well, that's not for me, it's too simple. But you know, at one point, preparing these exercises, I took an old copy of the spiritual exercise and a, and a pair of scissors and I cut out everything that wasn't first exercises. So I cut out the, the full exercise in four weeks. So I cut out weeks two, three, and four, gone. There were three methods of prayer at the back of the exercise, very beautiful, but they stay. A big ending prayer called a contemplation for love, stay. A big opening prayer called a foundation, stay. The whole of the first week, stay. Guidance for discerning spirits, stay. Introduction, stay. You know, when I held up my book that had removed all of the full exercises and, and what I held was two-thirds of the book. <laughs> so what happened was when Ignatius described an exercise and how to pray it, he didn't then repeat that the next time. He just said, I'll do what you did before. And then in the third week, I'll do what you did in week two. And the fourth week, do what you do in week three and two and one. So... Nobody, I don't think, had ever written them out in longhand like me. I just didn't do, when it said go back, I went back and I had to write out in longhand and discovered that these exercises are quite long and very rich and very deep. And I don't know what to say to people. The only thing you can say is try it. Which, mm. by the way, as, as you mentioned, that's our, that's our primary way of working. We, we do a lot of retreats, a lot of tasters, a lot of Ignatian formation and a lot of training um, with school principals and boards and dioceses and parishes, all sorts of groups. And it's very hard for a Jesuit, all right. And <laughs> what we do is is we walk in and we do this and then have the father and son and, the and you can see their faces. Well, I'm on a school board. What are you doing the sign of the cross for? We're here to do some serious work about, you know, how to make our school more Ignatian. And we just make the sign of the cross and we give them an exercise. We know once it to the group that we're with and to what that group most desires at the moment, right? We know once it. And then we ask them to share with one another, have a spiritual conversation about what they just experienced which they do, and then you can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, how to pray or Ignatian formation or spirituality. But if you do it, if you do it in that order, the Holy Spirit becomes the person sitting right beside you giving this. You've got extra help, pretty good mm. extra help, right? And then God goes at work with them during their prayer. So the rest of the meeting or the training or the retreat day or reflection, whatever it is, it's deeply changed by the fact we just prayed together. I remember I was on a retreat once and the, uh, there was this old monk who would come down and give like a morning reflection. And he, um, and he said once, he's like, you know, whenever I, whenever I talk, I always, I always, you know, ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what do you want me to say? And he said, every time I, I do that, it comes out right. And every time I forget, it comes out wrong. And that, I, I don't know, it's like a very simple kind of sounds obvious. Right. But, um, but that stuck with me. It was like probably like 15 years ago now. And I always think of that whenever I'm, 
you know, going to give a presentation or do a talk because that's the right, it, it puts you, as you said, it puts you in the right place. It allows the Holy Spirit to work and it just, it, it, everything kind of falls into the right order of, of, of importance. And then you can do what God is asking you to do. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think the work that I do and you're doing, it's like the best job in the world, right? Because first of all, first of all, you get wiser as you go on, right? Not by doing extra courses, but but simply by, you know, listening to people. And the second thing is the outcome doesn't depend on you. It doesn't mm. depend on your performance. It, so as a giver of exercises, all of a sudden you're released from that burden of I've got to perform well, I've got to be a great giver or a great guy, I've got to know my material, I've got to know the audience I'm talking to. All of that goes off your shoulders because you're not doing any of the work. In fact, if you're giving exercise, it's almost impossible to break in, right? Mm. Break into a personal prayer experience from the outside. I mean, afterwards mm. you could say, uh, Thank you for sharing. I think it's a lot of rubbish. That might not be helpful, <laughs> right? You can break in that way, but you can't actually break into the original experience. And so um, it reminds you that this is all about God at work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see two things that I just um, want to underline that you've, you've been pointing to is that it, it just feels like um, the whole nature of the, of the first spiritual exercises is the kind of the 15th annotation, right? The, this idea of, of God deals directly with the creature. And I think what you're saying is we can't even get in the way if we tried is so important for us to remember and think about. And the other thing that, um, as you said, that I, I, I think is really, I don't know, I have something that I'll, I'll be thinking about now is, is this we have this kind of, we're like allergic to simplicity, right? Like, oh, prayer can't be too simple because then it doesn't count. And in fact, right, what you're pointing to is that in this, in, in these, you know, quote unquote, simple prayer forms, God is, is at work perhaps even more um, powerfully, more, you know, in, with more poignance. Um, and, and that maybe there's something that we should ask ourselves, like, why is it that we can't engage with, with a simple prayer? Um, why do we need mm -hmm. to, you know, put all these bells and whistles on them? I don't know. Any of that resonate? Yeah. I, I mean, there are, in our Christian tradition, there are many forms of prayer. There are, mm -hmm. There's probably 10 really great, deep, nearly 2,000-year-old traditions of prayer, and they're great. Um, I've only focused on this one form of, of highly structured prayer. It's not the only form, but it's, it, uh, it keeps reminding you that it's not about you. you just give the exercise my friend, just give the exercise that God says and I will take care of it. The next thing that you you do, like we, we um, understand the ministry of the first spiritual exercises uh, according to Ignatius's first three ministries, straight after his conversion, after his leg was broken and he was nearly died a couple of times and he's in bed and he goes through this conversion, right? As that happens, he says, he says three things. I began to do three things. First of all, I began to pray exercises. He had a very good book of spiritual exercises. He says, secondly, I began to keep a spiritual journal, which actually became the book of the spiritual exercises. And thirdly, he says, um, I began to talk to the members of my household about the things of God. So doing exercises keeping a journal and spiritual conversation, those three were there at the very beginning and that's what First Spiritual Exercises is. 
we give these simple first exercises. We teach people how to keep a journal, which we call a listening book. And then thirdly, we teach them, we guide them in spiritual conversation. And the thing about spiritual conversation, when it's on what happened in your prayers, not on anything else, not general faith sharing, not Bible sharing or anything like that, our spiritual conversations are always only on what happened in prayer. So the, the spiritual conversation that we give is also in five steps. It begins with silence, then it's listening, then it's a little bit of conversation, and then it's a little moment of to discern what you heard, and then it's silence again. So it's five steps, but most of it's in silence and listening. So I, I can't... I'm coming to the realisation over the last few years, especially, that nobody listens anymore, right? Mm. <laughs> we're, we're absolutely deluged in communication, but nobody's listening to anyone. And the church seriously needs to start listening again, right? I guess that's mm. what they're doing right now in Rome. Right. Uh, <laughs> listening. Um but people need to listen to each other. When, when we give these exercises and form conversation groups straight afterwards, the reaction of many people is total relief. Oh my God, you know, I had no one, I had no one to talk about my interior life ever. Or I did, I'd been coming to this parish for 60 years. Nobody told me we could do this, right? These are good, <laughs> these are good Catholics, good Christians, yeah. right? I come to Mass every Sunday. And they... So, um, and the other thing about spiritual conversation, once again, it's, the power is flat. There's every, every listener is equal. So we tell people, I often find myself telling people when, they, when they're thinking about whether to do, take these simple spiritual exercises in a few days or whatever a retreat, I often tell them, You've already, you've already got 90% of what you need, right? It's just that no one's ever given you a, a tool or a method or a structure to surface what it is that you know in your life experience. You're not going to learn a lot, right? Because you've already got it. You've already got it in your own life experience. And you say, oh, I don't think so. And I say, well, take discernment. You know, people put that up as being really big and hard and deep and mysterious and all that stuff. Fellow Jesuits say to me, that to me, you can't teach people to sermon. I say, what the hell? Well, my sister meets with her girlfriends, right, for morning tea, for a cup of tea, coffee every week. And you know what? They talk about the, the suicide of a child and marriage breaking up in their group. They talk about uh, problems with children, they talk about their spouses. I said, you won't believe what they talk about and that they're actually discerning where mm. to find life and how to help this other person find life. And, I mean, if you're a parent, you're trying to think, what school do I send my kid to, for instance? Even mm. those things are, are about making, trying to make good decisions. So my view is... One of the best things Ignatian spirituality can offer people is a way to pray that's simple and easy that puts them in touch with a personal God, with the Trinity, and allows the Spirit to work with them. In Australia, we are so secularised here in Australia, way more than, than in America or Canada, right? 
Mm. So um, there is, people have lost a language. They don't have a language to talk about the interior life or faith or mystery or God. They don't have that language anymore. It's just not there. So I think that's one of the most important things Ignatian spirituality can offer, you know, through a yeah. metaphor, through a way to pray. We can give you a language and then we can give you a place where you'll be heard. Mm. Maybe even a place of silence, since silence is something that we're losing rapidly as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love what you're saying, um, as I always do. And I, I, I think it's very empowering to to remind people that, hey, like God's already at work in your life, in your story. Like you've, you've already got it, you know? And, and yeah. I, I, um, I was on a, I was, I was at, at Magis the, the week before World Youth Day, um, where a bunch of kind of Jesuit affiliated young, young folks are together. And I was so overwhelmed and impressed by all the, the stories these folks were sharing and, and like very clearly God is at work. Um, um, and, and like you said, like they, they just needed the space to, and, and, and the reminder that, Hey, like you're, you're doing great. You're, you're already here. God's already at work. And then all of a sudden all that, all the good stuff starts to happen. And it was incredible just to witness just as you're, as you're saying, right. You just kind of, you get out of the way and you let God be God. Um, I want to, I want to talk. So I, you know, you're speaking of kind of, um, again, I put simple in quotes, quote unquote, simple prayers all throughout the month of October, right? We, we usually are, are, are have Mary on our mind, right? Um, you have been providing these really beautiful um, meditations, uh, linking an image of, of the Blessed Mother, um, just with a little bit of prayer um, and, and the, in, you know, in the context of the life of Ignatius. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about this, this project, kind of where it came from. Um, and then, and then, kind of about Ignatius's own experience of Our Lady, because um, like I knew a lot of these stories, but a lot of them I have never even heard of, uh, and we're only six days in. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, welcome, <laughs> welcome to that. <laughs> <coughs> Friend of mine, I've I've done some work in uh, Maranatha Retreat Centre, which is in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur, and so I've good friends there. Uh, we trialed a lot of the first exercises there with. Uh, in, in Malaysia. Um, anyway, she rang me up, she emailed me and said, look, uh, October's coming up, can you do something on Mary? Because October's Mary and it's really big here. And I thought, oh, okay, something on Mary, I don't know. And then I then it just floated in. I thought, well, what about if we looked, you know, Mary was really important to Ignatius. What if we did something with all of the faces of Mary that were important, important to Ignatius? Uh, a rosary retreat and she said oh that's great so I put together a rosary retreat and of five five rosaries to be done over four nights praying a different rosary or five days praying a different rosary each day right anyway because I joined Mary and Ignatius, and I, at one point I was calling an Ignatian Rosary and all that, I ran. She ran smack into people who loved the Rosary, who said, uh, "Well, you can't call it an Ignatian Rosary. I mean, the Rosary's the Rosary." And because I'd gone simple, right? They were saying, "We have left out that prayer. We always say that prayer. Why did you leave out that prayer between the decades?" And then you know, it all all kind of blew up. And I'm hastily retitling this retreat, you know, uh, Mary, the heart of Mary, you know, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. And we advertised and, I, you know, I got in touch. I said, well, how, how's it coming? How are the numbers? We've, I've got 
eight Australian directors who are ready to help, you know, because we can be online. She said, she was silent. She said, oh, actually, I've only got two people who signed up. I said, two people? <laughs> she said, and one of them was my best friend because I rang up and said, I haven't got anybody and you have to join. So anyway, we cancelled. So I, I went to my own people, my own, you know, retreat co-workers, FSE givers, and I said, well, let's, oh, we'll, we'll run it. And we ran into the same thing, you know, amongst our own people. Oh, you can't change that. So it just sat there for 12 months, bubbling away. Everybody loved the idea, but, you know, you could have a Pope Francis rosary and a Pope, you could have a Benedictine, but obviously people weren't ready for an Ignatian rosary. So... <laughs> You're ahead so, of the game, man. You're too far Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the idea came to me, well, I've, we've got a, an image of Mary and a little prayer and a little bit of Ignatius's life and a simple prayer. Why not we just send one to people each day? And that's what we've done. Once you made it a daily, once we made it a daily prayer, there was no problem. I didn't even use the word. No rosary there at all until the end. Uh, so Don't I spoil did the ending. So, yeah, I did some research and I know a number of these images of Mary because I've been on Ignatian pilgrimage. I've seen them myself. But there were so many I didn't know of. The more I researched, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know. I knew about the Black Madonna of Montserrat. I never knew there was another Black Madonna in a church outside his student college in Paris. There's no way he. Oh, wow. There's no way he walked out that door and did not go straight in to visit that Black Madonna. So I'm I'm doing research on the Black Madonna of Paris, and I discover the guy says there are hundreds of them. Let me repeat that: there are hundreds of Black Madonnas around. And yeah. I'm going, oh my god! So um, I discovered lots of m images of Mary, and then I began to put them together, and. There are a, a number around that that you that are that are important life events in his life, right? Mary Mary's important at different times in his life. So there are a number of images around life events. There are a number of images that I I think he keeps close to him, that are very near to him, that he keeps close to him. Then there are a number of faces of Mary. Um, experiences of Mary that are there for him in really tough, desperate times. Then there's another group that are, uh, that are attached to important feast days of Mary, and four of them, they're all where he or the first companions or Jesuits are making vows. It's, so they've chosen Feast of Our Lady or images of Our Lady to do this. And I don't think they said, let's do that every time we take a vow or something important happened. I think that's just the way it happened because they felt so close to Mary. There are visions that he had of Mary. There's a group of them. And finally, he wrote the exercises and every spiritual exercise has a gospel event attached to it. And mm. so he wrote a couple of points on each gospel event, right? So there's 30, there's... There's more than that, actually, because you, in the full exercise, you might pray four or five times a day. So if you want to know how important Mary is to him, then I, what I also look to see, well, what events in the Gospels that are important to Mary, what events that, that involve Mary did he choose 
to make very important for people making these exercises and there are 10 of them. So that's the groups that I found them in. Uh, would you like well, to hear about some of them? Yeah, yeah. Give us what, maybe some of the ones that you found most striking or the ones you've been most surprised by or... Um, yeah, One of the... Okay, sure. Um, and certainly Our Lady of the Way must be in there somewhere, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a, a big thing to know is that his mother died when he was young, mm. right? And I don't know. I can't remember the age, but it would have been like, I don't know, one or two or something. Right. And and so he he was brought up by Maria Garin, who was the blacksmith's wife. Mm -hmm. And the blacksmith's uh, cottage, which still exists, is, is like a few hundred metres away from the the Loyola Tower House, the Loyola Castle. But he was actually brought up around a blacksmith. Imagine that, around the kitchen of a, a blacksmith and his wife and the people would come in and out and he'd be put in a little pram and wheeled up to the big castle. And his dad died pretty young too. So Martin, his oldest brother Martin, was really the master of the castle when he was growing up. And it was Martin's wife Magdalena she became like his mother because his mother had died young and it was she who brought this little icon of the Annunciation and that was put in the family chapel, still there today. So as a child, his first image of Mary was probably that, the Annunciation, this little little image of Mary. When when he goes to Manresa and, Ma and Barcelona later on, later on Inez Pasquale is a woman who meets him when he's walking down out of Montserrat to go as a, as a pilgrim to go to Manresa. She meets him on the road and she says, where are you staying? And he says, well, I haven't got anywhere to stay yet. And he doesn't have any money. He's just giving it all away. She, so she takes him in hand, right? And she gets him a bed in the local hospital. She's quite wealthy and she's got a house in Barcelona and he stays there. She becomes his next mum. Then uh, in in his Barcelona, while he's trying to study, while he's begging for food to help people, he runs into Isabel Rosa. She's another fairly well-offen woman, and she takes care of him. She gets, buys him his students' books, which are very expensive in Paris, mm. all the time. And so, you know, we have his letters, more than 100, about 125, maybe more, we have letters of his to women. Women were incredibly important to him. Mm. Um, so I'm telling you all this because, of course, Mary is the mother, but I think Mary as his mother would have been very potent, would have been very real because he lost his mother who was young. And so these other women, and I think Mary is right there. Um, the Ignatian family owned... Uh, at least three or four hermitages. I don't know if you've been to been to Spain, but for me as an Australian, mm -hmm. when I went to Spain, even getting a train from the north to the south, I was gobsmacked at how every other little hill had a little stone hermitage on it, right? Mm -hmm. And you go into the tiniest town and there's a hermitage or two or three. And then you go into a big church in Spain, a cathedral, and... You're lucky if you know that actually God and Jesus and the Eucharist happens in this place because every chapel, left and right, 
you know, 25 of them. They are different statues of Our Lady. It, the, mm -hmm. the, a devotion to Our Lady in Spain is was totally unexpected. So Our Lady of Olat is, is like within hearing distance of his castle, and he went there as a kid, and she's still there. That statue is still right. there. I in remember Paris. seeing that one and thinking it was so cool. How it was like yeah, the original yeah. one. And it's so small and unassuming, but you're like, this this was the image that he would have come and prayed, prayed, you know, next to. Yeah. And yeah, it was very cool. When we were there, it was like winter and massive rain, dark, the river had flooded, and I was there with a the fellow Jesuit. And one of the Jesuits in the community at Loyola said, Oh, uh, you know, we're doing something tonight in the, uh, the in a, the Hermitage, Our Lady of Arts, if you want to come. So I thought, oh, you know, it's probably going to be the rosary or something. So we head off and it's like black and it's like wet, splashy. We go down the street and up this path and we finally climb up to the chapel, which, as you know, is beautiful stone. It's small and we can't hear anything. And we get, oh, maybe we've got the wrong time. We open the door and we're blasted with the sound of Basque people singing. Now, the Basques are known as great singers, right? And they're full-throated Basque songs to Our Lady and endlessly happening. It was like, it must have been like a exposition of the sacrament or something or a novena. I don't know because we don't know the language. And the walls were so thick we couldn't hear anything. But we walked in and we both thought, oh, my God, they've been doing this for 500 years. This is exactly what Ignatius would have gone to regularly. And then they all go off to their farms. He had, um, he had uh, in Barcelona, he loved to sit inside Santa Maria, Donna Mare, Del Mare, Our Lady of the Sea, mm -hmm. um, in, and in Rome when the first church falling down, roof, roof destroyed church that the Pope gave them. Um, <laughs> which, was, nice of them. which was good. They had no church before that. Uh, this is the first companions. It had on the corner outside Santa Maria, Donna Mare, Our Lady of the Way, a beautiful plaster icon. And when they built the new church, they took that icon inside where it still is today. So Our Lady of the Way was very appropriate. So they're just life events where mm. Mary's around. Um, he, he kept a little icon when he travelled, which we still have. It's about the size of your hand. That was our, an icon of Our Lady who shows the way. He, uh, very early on in his journal, he he would make notes from his exercise. He'd always write Our Lady's words in blue. Oh, wow. In blue. Yeah, yeah. Jesus' words in red, Our Lady's word in blue. He had a journal of 500 pages. I mean, he carried with him the Book of Hours of Our Lady. He uh, carried rosary beads with him. There is an icon called Our Lady of the Writing Desk above his desk in Rome that he looked at every day. In a revelo, when he was a young man at the courts, uh, Our Lady of Sorrows was the patron saint and her statue, same one he would have seen, is today still carried in procession around the streets. And we, we haven't got it, but we know that he wrote a very long poem to Our Lady. So the feelings are there for her. 
it's interesting because it also puts in different contexts that kind of famous story, you know, early in the autobiography where, um, you know, someone, you know, offends the honor of, of Our Lady and he, you know, has to decide if he's going to go chase that guy down and kill him or, or let him be. Um, and so I feel like with this context of, of knowing kind of such, you know, such the, the journey that Ignatius goes on with Our Lady constantly you know as his companion it, it it makes a lot of sense i also it also to me i i, I want to get your your insights on this but it also layers in kind of the idea of the of the colloquy you know with mary it gives that added context so can you talk a little bit too about how you how you make sense of of the call what the colloquy is for folks that might not know but then also how mary plays a distinct role there okay um a colloquy is just latin for conversation and in any spiritual exercises, the last, the fifth step, and even in the first exercise, the fifth step is always conversation. It's always a colloquy. So you pray with God, you pray a gospel event or whatever it is in the body of the prayer, but you always finish it by stepping a bit outside and just having a conversation. Ignatius says, as with a friend. You know, so if you're in a gospel event, say the crucifixion, you step outside it and then you just talk to Jesus as a friend. You just say, gosh, I felt really gutted at that moment. Or, and then you listen to what Jesus might say to you. So he said at other times you might speak as someone who's sorry about, about having offended the other person. Or you might speak as someone in a conversation where you're asking for advice. They're all ordinary kinds of conversations that we might have. He, if you add to that, that the, the fact that all of us know that if you want to get to someone, right, to influence them or ask them for something important or get the job or whatever, it's really cool if you can get to their mother. That's the, <laughs> that's the basic idea here, right? So if when Jesus wanted to ask Jesus for something, he thought, I'll be smart. I'm going to go to his mother first. And so so you would ask Mary to intercede to you. Could you ask your son to, could he just, you know, look, I really need his help. So that's what you say to Mary. So that was, a, that was a, that's a colloquy. It's a conversation, but it's also intercession. Mary is the mm. intercessor. That's what that means. She pleads for us. She intercedes for us. She speaks for us. And then uh, Ignatius would say, but actually, if what you really want, you want from God the Father or the Creator, then you should ask Jesus to intercede. So you ask Mary, Mary, could you ask Jesus uh, to da 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 da? And then you go to Jesus, oh, look, Jesus, um, you know, uh, thanks. Isn't it good Mary brought us together, right? And, uh, you know, <laughs> and you talk, and then you kind of work into it, by the way, could you talk to your dad for me, you know, or could you talk to the creator? So that's called a triple colloquy. That's three conversations. That's all it is. Um, and in these daily prayers that we're sending out each October is an image of Mary. Then a few sentences on where and when and why it was important in Ignatius's life. And then I've just written three sentence prayer every day, three sentence prayer. The first is I just contemplate the image, right? So it's Our Lady of Consolation, say. I just contemplate that image. Then I ask, in very simply, you know, Our Lady of Consolations, could you please console uh, the people who are, who are really hurting in my life? 
And then, then the next last sentence is always the intercessionary one. Mary, could you intercede with your son Jesus to look after my children? And then I always say, in particular, dot, dot, dot. So every day you have a, an image, then a bit of the history Ignatian connection, but, but that's just learning on the way, right? Then you have a simple prayer that just says, um, Mary, can you help me? And can you intercede with Jesus for me? And the prayers that I have each day are just the ordinary ones we all need to know, you know, to look after a particular member of the family or someone who's doing it tough or, you know, can you free me? Can you help me not to be burdened by my work, to be overworked? They're all very simple. So um, it's really a double colloquy. Every day yeah. is a double colloquy, a double conversation to Mary and then Mary to ask Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and again, there's the idea of it, it being very simple, but also very powerful. Well, you know, Mick. Uh, so October is the month of Mary, and you have this this wonderful series of, of prayers. Um, what else uh, are you guys working on uh, for the coming months and and seasons that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, okay, um, this was a good thing to do, but we did not expect the response that we have. So. We, ha we have, we're just nearing 1,000 registrations. And even though it's a country, a person or two in each country, sometimes, it's, we're still up to 32 countries. Like, like, we're not a big show. It's just me and my assistant who works two days a week, right? But it, these are the, the smallest seeds that ripple out and people are taking them out. So... Um, I think we'll do them next May, right? Because we had the October month and a lot of people are only hearing about them already. We're getting people coming in because a friend told them, right? right? After a week, they see them and, and there'll be people who by the end of October will suddenly hear about them. So I think we'll repeat them in May to give people a chance to, to experience them. If they sign up any time during October, we were thinking about this interview podcast and the fact that it'll be released later in October. But what we've done is we've added a link for you to go to all of the ones that we've sent out earlier, mm. right? So even if you join halfway, you'll get them halfway, but you'll have access. You can go and look at the ones previous. Perfect. Or if you're like me and you accidentally delete them because they, you, you missed the yeah. push the wrong yeah. button and then your email shuts down, then you're ready to go. <laughs> Um, two things. Two things are on the on the board at the moment. Uh, I, for years, I've wanted to do something on the Ignatian Contrary. Um, it's just a simple method of discernment that we've been teaching in first exercises, where you become aware of of the feelings or movements of the good spirit, the movements of the bad spirit, then. Once you know that, you choose to walk in the direction of the good spirit. You turn and you choose and you walk, right? So good spirit is bad spirit. Um, you have the, once you know the contraries, they, each one teaches you about the other one and it shows you the direction to walk in. So they're fantastic for getting out of holes, right, that you've <laughs> fallen into or fantastic for confusion. Um, so I've got in my mind for long, for years now, I've already got some exercises like this, but I'd like to write really simple exercises like and, and use our sensuality 
our bodies because I want to put an egg in one hand and a stone in the other hand. Mm. And a little exercise will be as I, you know, I hold these two things, something that's life or got the possibility of life and something that's dead, and I'll write an exercise to help you name what is dead or what's what's what could be new life in your own life and to choose the life, right? Mm, cool. And there, yeah. there any number of these, you know, there's what, heavy and light is another one, right? When we move in the right direction, make a good choice in our lives towards God, we feel lighter, but like our shoulders are unburdened. So that's coming. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to write a series during Lent, same thing, to post out. I'm going to call it Jailbreak. Right, okay. jailbreak. Because I was thinking about Lent, and I was thinking about all the promises that Jesus made and his and his ministry, and he says, "I'm," here, and he sends the disciples up to do this. He says, "I'm here to feed the hungry, to set people free, to set prisoners free, to liberate the oppressed, to lift burdens, right, to exorcise demons, to get rid of demons." And I thought. Instead of giving up something for Lent, wouldn't it be cool every day if just for a moment you could be freed from some little prison you're in or freed from a burden? Mm. So that's why I'm calling it jailbreak, so that every day you get the opportunity for God to help you to break out of whatever's imprisoning you. Mm, like so that. there you go. Cool. All right, Mick, so if, if, if somebody wants to sign up uh, to make sure they're on board for all these, these things, where would they go? Um, so for the mail outs, they need to get a link. But if they go to, they go to our GISA website, J I S A. Um, just type that in, GISA Australia. That'll take you to the website, and that will have uh, information about all the things that we run. First exercises is one of the ministries under GISA, which is. Jesuits and Ignatian Spirituality Australia. Um, cool. If well, if in your blog or something you can put a direct link, for instance, we'll drop we'll drop the link in the uh, in the show notes here. Then you we'll just press on. that and once you're on that once you're on that list, if you sign up, even if it's the end of October and you sign up, right? Once you're on my mailing list, um, we will let you know what's coming up in for. We're going to repeat the Advent blessings as well. What's coming up in Advent and then Lent and so on. Perfect. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Mick, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out uh, on AMDG today. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference Communications team is Mike Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, Kristen Smith, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get our weekly email reflection series, Now Discern This, by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, Connect with your local vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go 
and set the world on fire.